welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. This morning on Easter Sunday, we conclude our series, uh, Coming to the Cross, and I want to start by reading one of the uh, gospel narratives of Resurrection Sunday, as it were. Luke 24, verses 1 to 12 says this, but on the first day of the week, At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. As I said, today we we conclude our series, Coming to the Cross, and we do it on probably the most magnificent of days for Christians. I think for me, Easter Sunday is probably the highlight of the year, the day on which we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, the culmination of Holy Week and the Easter story. For the resurrection of Jesus is at the heart of our message. It is the climax of the passion narrative that is found in all the four gospels and is the center, without doubt, of redemption itself. It is the reason that we are here. It is the reason that we celebrate Easter. It is the the reason that above all, we are a people of hope and joy. Without the resurrection, we can only pity Jesus as a dead martyr whose lofty ideals were sadly misunderstood. But with the resurrection, one must stand in awe of our exalted Messiah, the Son of the living God, who gave his life a ransom for us all, who presently sits at the right hand of God and who one day will come again and fix this broken world. So I say today we stand in awe. When Paul boasted in the cross, his boast would have been incomprehensible to any of the contemporaries of his day, apart from those who had fully embraced God's breathtaking wisdom and his incredible plan. As we know, probably most of us, the cross was a form of public execution of unparalleled unparalleled degradation and repulsiveness. Though Paul gloried in the cross, man's normal response would have been horror and disgust at something so hideous and repellent and repugnant. It was reserved for the lowest of the low and enabled Rome and the Roman Empire not only to crush its enemies, but to leave them full of utter terror and fear and humiliation. Just the fear of crucifixion spread throughout their empire. Even 
Though the Romans imposed this infamous punishment on their enemies, Cicero, a Roman statesman and philosopher, condemned it, and I quote, as the most cruel and disgusting punishment. He later added the very word cross should be far removed not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. And yet today, for us, the cross is the most magnificent and wonderful of all symbols. Naked and disowned by men and God, someone hanging on a tree was regarded by the Jews as forsaken and damned. Man had inflicted punishment to the limits of its ability, and now God would curse him. For Paul to boast in the cross and be determined to preach no other message than Jesus Christ and him crucified was an incredible mystery, a mystery of foolishness to the Greeks and a cause of deep offense to his fellow Jews. How could Jesus' disciples proclaim that Jesus of Nazareth was the promised Messiah? He had not merely died, he had been completely humiliated on the cross, and yet today we rejoice in that. We believe and we know that God had a plan that was in motion to bring about redemption for each and every one of us. So in our coming to the cross this morning, I want us to briefly look at what the cross means for us going forward as Christ followers in everyday, day-to-day relevance to where we find ourselves. The cross is always relevant. It is always a story that is relevant for who we are and wherever we are in our Christian journey. And this morning, I just want to look at three or four areas that it is relevant for us going forward in the here and now. What does this magnificent event that made this forgiveness of sins possible, that brought us into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ mean for us today and for our future? Not only do we need to look back, not only do we need to know what it means for us now, but what does it mean for us going forward? And firstly, very simply, the cross is not simply a one-off place of forgiveness and salvation, but a place where we as Christians live. Of course, by this I don't mean that we need to get saved time and time again as, as if we can fall out of salvation or suddenly lose it if we're not careful. But having been forgiven, the cross is a place that we need to be based, we need to live there, we need to linger there, we need to be renewed there, I believe, on a daily basis. That old hymn that says, Jesus, keep me near the cross there's a precious fountain. There is something of life that not only was established through the cross when we came and we asked for the forgiveness of sins, but it's something that gives us life day in, day out. And I believe that as Christians, amongst the things that we need to do, one of the most important is come back to that cross and say, Lord, I am yours and I thank you for the forgiveness that you have given me and I want to live in the the light of that power. The, The cross is something that shapes how we live, how we think, how we behave, how we forgive others, how we relate to others. The cross is a place to be enjoyed, to be imbibed, to be absorbed by. As we read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the hope of the cross, this resurrection radically changed the way that they lived. The church at Corinth was a wonderful mess, if I can put it like that. Not only 
Did the cross give them a hope for the world and anticipation for the joy that was yet to come? It also freed them and it radically freed them from the norm. They lived different to the normal people of Corinth and it was because of the, cru- of the cross. It freed them from materialism, from consumerism. It freed them from the must-haves of life and it freed them from sexual sin and sexual addiction. The power of the cross was so clearly seen in Corinth that it made a huge impact. Today for us to live transformed and changing lives, it all starts and finishes with these moments in history that we are celebrating today and because of the cross and the resurrection. Let us keep coming to the cross. The Bible tells us that two men, two men were crucified with Jesus, but it also tells us that you and I were crucified with him too. I might not always feel like it, but my old self was certainly nailed to the cross as much as those two thieves were. Your old self, if you have started your journey with God today, your old self was nailed to the cross as much as those two thieves were. And whatever the enemy or your guilt or your shame or you say to yourself, your old self was nailed and is dead. And it is part of your past as is mine. Judgment is past, bondage to sin can be broken. And Paul's Paul glorified in the old rugged cross, not in some nostalgic reflection, but in triumph and glorious, glorious emancipation of being set free from sin and the slavery that it captured him in. Romans 6 tells us this, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Come, let's live at the cross and in the light of that realize what God has done for us through Calvary. For non-believers, the the message of the cross is, is foolish, that it's confusing, it's mysterious and perhaps even impossible to understand yet it even demands a response there. But for us as God's people, those who believe the message of the cross is the power and the wisdom that we desperately need in our lives to navigate all that we face. I don't know about you, but I need so much wisdom to navigate my life, my family, all that the world throws at me. But there is really nothing beyond the cross. It is sufficient for us. Put it another way, we will never outgrow our need for the redemptive, rescuing, restoring grace which is found in the message of the cross. I think the hymnist, the old hymnist got a little bit of an insight and it's the last two verses of a well-known hymn. It says, near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring the scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows o'er me. Here the cross, I'll watch, near the cross I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. The cross is a place that we need to come and be based in and live in every day. Secondly, because I know you all want to get to the Easter eggs, and I know I'm, fight, I'm pushing water uphill here this morning, but the hot cross, but I, I'm not allowed to have the Easter eggs, am I? Am I 90 days up yet? (laughs) 
The cross helps calibrate our lives in an incredibly busy world. Wherever one turns, wherever you look, everyone seems to be so busy in an ever-increasing world. More often than not, when you ask someone how are they doing, they, they reply with, oh, I'm so busy. Why did you tell me that? You could say, oh, I'm not well, or I'm doing fine, or I'm grumpy, but we all seem to say, oh, I'm, I'm so busy. And if I'm honest, when I hear that response from people, I don't know what to do with that. I don't quite know how to respond to that because it's like, do we have time for this conversation even? If we are so busy, I feel a little bit guilty that I've even stopped you from getting around your work. But you know, we all live in a very busy world. The demands of our time are real and greater than ever before. And the range of options available to us to fill up our time is absolutely enormous. So what is the antidote to this situation while fully understanding the pressure of doing myriad things at once, let alone living, carving out time for a living God? <clears throat> Share something very personal with you. A few weeks ago, I, I had the very wonderful and strange weekend and week all rolled into one. Three weeks ago, we, we missed church to go and collect our son, Ben, who would return back from the UK for a couple of weeks with his girlfriend. They were arriving into Auckland Airport late on a, on a Sunday morning, so we weren't in church, which is so unusual for us. It's just we are always in church. When we're away, people sort of say, gosh, what's wrong? Is everything okay? It's just our want. And so we made our way to the airport on, on the Sunday morning, and we collected them, and it was really good. However, for the rest of that week, I found myself, <coughs> strangely for me, at something of a loss. It wasn't that I didn't get my work done, or I hope that I wasn't idle, and I hope that I wasn't unproductive, but I had this sense that I didn't really know if I was coming or going. There was something that was strange about that week. It was something that didn't deeply concern me or worried me, but something was out of line. Something was out of kilter, if I can use that phrase. It was a busy week. I had to say that, because it would be wrong to say it after what I've just said. But we had a good time. We had a good time with, with Ben, and we did a lot of things together. But at the end of that week, on the Saturday, I had two weddings. I had one at 1.30, and I had one at 3.30. I'd never prayed for a open roads so much in my life. But it was, it, was, it was a full week, and everything went fine, and everything went as it should have, but something quite wasn't right with me here. What I felt God show me, which I will share in a moment, was a lesson that I believe that he wanted me to learn afresh, and that he was using of that, the events of that week to reshape, to reform, and if I can use the word recalibrate, something in me. There wasn't a hint of rebuke, as there was no need for it. There was no adjustment to be made because there was not one required. I would do the same again if I had the situation over. To me, the, outside of my relationship with God and with hope and my children, the thing that I love the most is the church. I love the church. His bride, that which Jesus one day is going to come for soon. And for me, the gathering together with you, his people, on a regular basis is the most important thing that I do outside that which I have mentioned. 
So the week that I wasn't where I normally should have been on that Sunday left me, for a better use of a word, disconnected to something that was integral to who I am, integral to what I need to be feeding into my life on a regular basis, something that was integral to me in order to meet the demands of the week. Something wasn't as it should have been and something was out of kilter. This is not a hidden missive that says we all have to be in church every week to prove that we are, some, com- we are committed, whatever that means. And that in fact is far from the fact, far from the truth. And I know that for many, health is a real problem that robs us of the delight of gathering together. And of course, crazy work, work patterns, patterns can be incredibly disruptive. So I'm not, this is not a missive at anything at all. But it is to say that when I am not regularly coming to the cross, to the place where I meet with him, meet with you and each and every one of us here, when I come to celebrate and give thanks to him, something happens in my soul. Something calibrates me for the week ahead like nothing else. But when I don't do that on a regular basis, something is not right. I am slightly bent out of shape or out of kilter spiritually. (laughs) That when I am not regularly lost in wonder, love and praise, as it were, to quote Charles Wesley, when I'm not doing in remembrance what Paul calls us to do in Corinthians, to come to the table regularly with you, my brothers and sisters, then something is not set right, not set fair for me. That something in me isn't calibrated and regulated correctly. That when I am not consistently and regularly coming to the cross and celebrating and remembering all that it means and encompass, then something of the rhythm of my life is out of sync and is lost and isn't as it should be. That the cross and living in the light of what it says and means and requires of us is crucial to me and I believe our discipleship, stability, constancy, and steadiness in life as the followers of Christ is indeed the antidote to to busyness because it sets us upright. This next bit (laughs) might be controversial, the term, for we as believers often shy away from the tag of being fundamentalists because of the connotation that it has when we read the press and so much in America, and we stay away from the tag of being fundamentalists, which I understand in part. But nevertheless, there are some things that are so fundamental to our very existence and survival as believers that if we do not pursue them and uphold them, we will be robbed of what God wants to do in our lives. There is a call to, be, to do the fundamentals without being, as it were, fundamentalist. Paul gloried in the old rugged cross, as I said, not in nostalgic reflection, but in triumph and glorious emancipation. It says in Galatians, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I the world. The cross and the outworking of its celebration on a regular, ongoing basis helps calibrate us in a busy, chaotic world. It is the ballast that provides our lives and our children the stability and skillfulness 
to navigate the busyness of life. <clears throat> Thirdly, the cross demonstrates faith over circumstances. One of the reassuring, comforting truths about the cross for me as an ordinary Christian going about my daily life as a believer is this, that the cross clearly demonstrates faith over circumstances. Let me put it like this. If we are honest with one another, or maybe this is just me being too honest, when we say that God will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, and that he will always be there for us, I have to confess it doesn't always feel like this. For sometimes he doesn't feel close, sometimes he doesn't feel right there for me, and sometimes he feels far away. This is not a denial of his reality nor being blasphemous, but simply being honest about how sometimes perhaps we feel or definitely how I feel. There are times as Christians that our circumstances do not always reflect the place that often our faith expects us to be in. Not that our faith is wrong, but on occasions we, we believe and think that because of faith, we will never end up in such places or situations that we don't wish to find ourselves. But nevertheless, we do sometimes find ourselves in those places that we thought we would never find ourselves. How often have we said, I, I didn't think life would end up like this, or I didn't think it would be like this. And we sometimes think, gosh, why are we here? And sometimes because we are of faith and we people of faith and believe in God, we think we will never end up there, but we do. Sometimes that we believe that God is bigger and that he has a plan, not that we can see it now. And we believe that yes, he is in control, again, not that it looks like it at this moment. And we do find ourselves in those situations. Of all the stories and insights surrounding the last week of Jesus' life on earth, from Palm Sunday through to Good Friday and then to Resurrection Sunday. For me, one of the most fascinating and captivating of all the insights that we have are Christ's last words on the cross. So much so we could just take days and weeks and months to look at them. But the two that really I want to speak of briefly are, why have you forsaken me? Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. How on earth do these two statements go together? Why have you forsaken me? And yet, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. They are paradoxically opposed. But often I believe that is where we find ourselves in life. That's where often we find ourselves as believers that we do not, as believers, we do not understand what is going on here, but we trust in him. And that we have to hold these two in incredible tension. And for me, one of the delights and wonders of the cross is that the cross demonstrates that we can have faith that will bring us through when circumstances don't look like it at all. Jesus is holding those two in tension for us. And it's one of the majestic things of the cross that we have. And it's one of the things I believe that we need to bind up in our hearts and as we go forward into life. 
we need to take that with us, that faith and circumstances will not always come together, but we can trust in a God who will never let us down, who will never leave us nor forsake us, and we can trust him with our life and with our future. And maybe you're there this morning that that's where I'm at. Friends, the message of the cross for our futures is that we hold those intentions, intention, and he will never let us go. Dallas Willard says some tough words around this, but worth pondering, he says this, when we look at what Christ did for us on the cross and keep that at the center of our vision, there are not many things that will bother us or even matter to us at all. We realize that Christ went willingly to the cross on our behalf, trusting in the greatness of God. It casts transformative life, transformative light on our own sufferings. I thought it was really, really quite a, ooh, a difficult thing to quote, isn't it? But sometimes it's those things that really make us think. Fourthly, today in our nation, going forward into our future, we need to know and be sure of the centrality of the cross and why this is so. Over the past few weeks, in the light of the tragedy that took place in Christchurch, one thing that has alarmed me has been the outcry that has said it doesn't matter whom we worship or how we approach God, for in essence, we worship the same God. And this view has gained a lot of traction, for it is seen to be loving, inclusive, and above all, politically correct. However, it cannot be further from the truth. But this is not new in any way. In December 2015 at Wheaton College in Chicago, which is probably the major flagship of institutional evangelicalism, they placed one of their administrative professors on leave for the following theological statement that seemed inconsistent with their doctrinal convictions. Five days earlier, before they actually suspended her, she put on a hijab, stating that her position on a variety of controversial matters were the same as other people. And she said this, as a Christian professor, I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims because they, like me, a Christian or people of the book, and as Pope Francis stated last week, we worship the same God. The logic goes something like this, that we are all climbing the same mountain, and that all the paths lead to the top and to the same God, which not only in reality, but even from a theological perspective, is erroneous and total nonsense. For if we examine the main religions, there is clearly difference of opinion. If you're a Muslim today and you get to the top of this magical, mystical, mythical mountain, you will find Allah, but there will be no place for the Son of God who came and died and lived among us and paid the price for sin for that which separates us from God. If you're a Buddhist and you get to the top of this mountain, there will be no God there at all. It will just be an empty space. If you're a Hindu and you get to the top, there will be something like 33 million gods to, to choose from. And of course, if you're a Christian, when you get to the top of this mythical mountain, there will of course be the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who chose to dwell amongst us and gave his life for us and died and rose again. For today in our nation, we as believers need to be reminded of the centrality of the cross and why it is crucial to humankind. John Don quoted that famous verse again last week, but it fits again today. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I just realized I quoted it from the King James Version, which I first learned it as a child. And then Acts tells us this, there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Billy Graham sums it up so well as well when he says, other religions follow great leaders who have died and their gravestones carry the inscription, here lies. But Christianity has no shrine to visit, no dusty remains to venerate, no tombs to worship. Many good men have lived and still live in the memory of those who knew them. But there is only one man who conquered death, Jesus Christ, and he will live forever. If New Zealand is to know why the cross is front and center, then it starts with us as Christians knowing why. You know, I love this country. It has been so kind to us, and it's been so good to us. And New Zealand uh, prides itself on inclusivity and tolerance, which is so good, which is so admirable and enduring. But inclusivity and tolerance will not deal with sin and heal the brokenhearted. Broken hearts need mending, and mere sentiment or soothing ideologies and political correctness will not suffice. Hurting people need an embracing compassion that puts hands, feet, and arms to our words and demonstrates a love, an empathy that comes through Jesus Christ. In other words, tears and lives and sin will only ultimately be dealt with Jesus Christ. We hurt as a nation, and understandably so, because we believe that every human being is sacred, in that sense, precious, meaningful, and possesses ultimate worth, and therefore should be loved and valued and respected. Please note, those are Christian values. That comes out of a Christian ideology. It doesn't come out of any other religion or world religion. For this to be true, it is only tenable. It's only tenable position. If we believe that we are created in the image of God and there is only one God who tells us that and his name is Yahweh. These facts are true because we worship a God who said all those things about us, about a living God who took upon himself the form of man and who came and lived and died and rose again so that we could have, religion, uh, could have relationship, could have religion with him, we could have relationship with him. The cross is so important going forward to us as a nation, because there's no other name given amongst men through which we can be saved. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.